It's official. We can now say Merry Christmas because Thanksgiving is over. We love it, but I'm a Christmas guy. I love it. I've been singing songs already. And people are like, you can't do that. We still have Thanksgiving. I'm like, hey, it's Christmas. It's okay. So now I can say it and people won't, won't throw snowballs or <laughs> snow cones, whatever, at me. Um, if you don't know, my name is, is Trevor, and I'm a youth pastor here, and I do love Thanksgiving. Quick little story about my life and my family. My grandma, she would always bring like a three-tiered pie carrier um, for Thanksgiving, and she always would bake us a pie, and she would say, all right, here, I made you guys an apple pie, I made you guys a pumpkin pie, and she says, Trevor, I made you a pumpkin pie, and I would seriously have a whole pie myself. I love, Man. love pumpkin pie, but yes, my name is Trevor, and this is the lovely Miss Kathy. <laughs> Hi, friends. My name's Kathy Craig. I'm the Connection and Discipleship Pastor here. Um, a little bit about me, if you didn't know this, fun fact, um, for the past 25 years of my life, my people have been teenagers and parents. Um, I was an educator. I was a high school and junior high English teacher for 18 years and then went into full-time ministry from there, um, working for Young Life, and then as a pastor, a student pastor here in Indianapolis, and now I'm here. And the greatest thing that I get to do is walk alongside you in the craziness and the mess and say, we're in it together because we have Jesus. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here and sharing this space with you. Trevor, would you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. So, so I, didn't, I didn't grow up really in the church. I was raised in a house with good morals. Um, and all my buddies in high school, I was sophomore at the time, getting ready to, to finish sophomore year. And all my buddies were like, hey, you got to come with us to church. You got to come to church. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't really, don't really want to go. I'm fine. And they're like, okay, well, summertime is here how about you come to a beach day our church is having? And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the beach. That's 100% what I'm going to do. I'll definitely go to the beach. So I go to the beach, and as the story goes, I met, I met a young girl, and she was awesome, very, very holy. She loved the Lord. And then I was like, I'm, I want to go to church now. I was like, I'm okay with this. I will go to church. So I start going to church, and then she invites me to, to go to youth camp over the summer. And I was like, well, where's it at? She says, well, we're going to Tennessee on a ranch. And I grew up out in the, on the country, out little farm boy. And I was like, okay, you and the farm, I'm in. I don't care if it's about church, I'm going. This is awesome. So I go for her, and then God came for me, and he just totally met me where I was at. And all my brokenness, he came and met me where I was at, and I gave my, my life to him. Um, going into my junior year. And so then I start serving in the church, um, wanting to be part of it more and more, even in the midst of, of my, my struggles and the things that I was doing wrong in life, um, just being defiant and all those, all those good things as, as we students do. Um, but then I got a call to ministry right after graduation. And so then I was like, I don't know what to do with that. What's a call to ministry? So I just kept serving in the church and became a small group leader, an intern for the church, all the good things, and just fell in love with where students are at. One, I was a student. I was like, I don't want to leave this. This is incredible. The games, the energy, the life. This is so fun. So I was like, I want to be in youth ministry for the rest of my life. Like, I don't want anything else. This is incredible. So I was like, I'm going to go and study, become a youth pastor, went to Indiana Wesleyan, and now I'm here serving you, your family, your students, and it has been an absolute blast, this whole ride. It's been incredible. Totally. Trevor, we love having you here, and you walking alongside our students, it is a blessing. So thank you for all that you do. And as a mom of two kids, I am grateful for you. 
Um, I have two kids. I am in the thick of it, y'all. I have a 17-year-old. She's a junior in high school. Um, my daughter, Alex, and then our son, Jesse, is going to be nine next week. I say that I have the bookends. And um, they keep us busy, and they keep us on our toes. So we need you, and we need you. And so thanks. Thanks for being here. And here's where we're going today. You ready? Okay. We want to share with you a dream, something that we feel super passionate about, and it's that we, as a church and as a community, we are better when we engage, we listen, and we learn and empower our next generation. Let me say that one more time. We are better when we engage, empower, and learn from our next generation. And we're so excited. And so as a youth pastor, it's my job to study and figure out where students are at, right? Partly it's easy for me because not too long ago I was a student. But in, in my just curiosity, I was like, I'm going to go and talk to the wise, the wise man, my grandpa. And so I go and talk to my grandpa, and I'm asking him um, just years ago, but just it was all study. Years ago, I asked him this question. I was like, Grandpa, what's the difference now from when you were a kid and now where I'm a kid? What's the difference between then and now? And he kind of stops and pauses and, and looks at me and says in this, this deep, grumbly voice, as an old army vet does, and he says, Trevor, the world may look different, we might talk different, might not even be recognizable, but the issues of the heart are still the same. And I was like, oh, Grandpa, you're so right. So good. And he was talking about the issues of the heart as being pre, uh, pride and greed and selfishness, all these things that date back to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, all these things have all been the same issues of the heart. We just talk different, dress different nowadays. So looking at students, I see that so true. We're still dealing with issues of greed and selfishness and pride and asking these questions about our life, like, who am I? Where do I belong? What am I supposed to do? And so doing that, also, my grandpa would say, he'd say a lot of things to me, as, as grandparents probably said to you as well. It's like, oh, you'll just, you'll figure this out when you're older, or I'll tell you when you're older. We always have these, kind of these three words that we uh, subconsciously or just on accident just label our next generation as being unattentive, as being selfish, and also being a little bit naive, lacking in understanding or wisdom, knowledge of experiences, making those mistakes, things like that. And so he said those to me. He's like, Trevor, you'll understand when you're older. My mom says, Trevor, you'll understand when you're older. And I'm like, I'm older. Come on, I need something. You'll understand when you're older. We keep labeling those things, right, as being unattentive, selfish, and naive. And I think that's the base of where we can, we can start as, as labeling and understanding where our students are at. Yeah. And adults, I'm an adult sometimes. <laughs> um, adults, we have to remember that we were there once too. That when we were in high school and middle school, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Can, can I get an amen to that? It was the emotional roller coaster because it's where we were developmentally. That is a part of the journey of being a high schooler, that you get to feel the raw grit of every experience that you go through, right? But as adults, sometimes we get so far away from that, we tend to compartmentalize it a little bit, and we forget that we were there once too, and we needed people to walk alongside us. 
Super, super important. So we've got to remember. We've got to remember what that was like. And it's tough to remember what it's like because I was reading this book trying to understand. Um, I was reading this book called Generation Z, which I'm on the edge. I'm in that generation. I'm in Gen Z. Um, but I was reading this book, and it talked about the curse of knowledge. And the curse of knowledge is this. It's once you understand something, once you know something, have experienced something, it's so hard to go back and not remember, to not understand, to not remember where you were at. And so I want to try something, just to kind of demonstrate this a little bit. I'm going to tap out a song. I'm going to tap a song on the table, just the beats. And I want you to see if you can recognize or understand it. Now, I promise you this isn't a hard song. Every single one of you has sang the song, um, and you'll probably sing it again, but it's, it's, it's recognizable. So let's just try this. Let's see it. If you know it, just raise your hand. Nice. Happy birthday. How many of you guys recognized happy birthday first off? How many of you were awesome. like, what in the world are you, are you tapping on the table? How many of you didn't recognize it? I didn't. The first was... time we did this, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that is. All right, so round two. If you didn't get it, if you still don't hear it, let's try it again. Just raise your hand once you get it. All right, so now we got happy birthday, right? We heard it. We understand it. So now, now what I want to do is try to remember 30 seconds ago when you didn't know what it was, all right? Try to unremember what you just what you just figured out. Now I can almost guarantee 100% of you are still singing happy birthday in your mind when I was tapping it out, right? Because once we know something, once we understand, once we experience it, it's so hard to go back 30 seconds ago and understand what it was like to not understand. And we need to try to do that. So what we're going to try to do this morning is just to go back, try to remember what it's like to be a kid, to recognize what we went through. Because just as my grandpa said, the issues of the heart are still the same. We're all still walking through the same things. We were all once unattentive, just going off doing our thing. We're all a little bit myopic, as Mm -hmm. you would say, in our development. And we all were lacking in understanding. So we want to get back to that. And I'm Gen Z. Yes, I'm, I'm 23. Um, I'm young. I have a baby face, but I am 23. I'm 23. I'm qualified. But I might not have all the wisdom and the understanding, so I'm going to go to a place where we have all the wisdom and the understanding. So let's turn, let's turn to, to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to jump into a scene of Jesus' life where he was a teenager. We're going to look into middle school Jesus in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. This is middle school Jesus all throughout this theme of, of next generation. So, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41, it says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. 
Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's not at first glance we see the story of Jesus. We might subconsciously, maybe even a little bit, start to see Jesus as being unattentive, not following his parents' home, as selfish, wanting to do what he wanted to do, and not lacking or in lacking in an understanding and in knowledge. But at the surface, we might see that. And when we look into this a little bit more, we start to see that there's so much more at play in the scene of Jesus' life. Yeah, at first glance, through the eyes of a parent or an adult, you may be asking yourself, did Mary and Joseph just lose their son, Jesus? Yeah, they did. <laughs> it was the ultimate home alone moment, if you know what I'm saying. If you know anything about Jesus' time, what, what we do know is that families, Jewish families, traveled for these festivals, especially Passover. They would travel from their homes to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem would swell at least three to four times what it normally was during, during these festivals because whole families went and traveled to worship, to be taught, and to engage together in these holy moments. And in these huge caravans, the kids would be all over the place. It was a little chaotic, I would imagine, right? And so Jesus got lost. But what we know is that Jesus was found. He knew exactly where he was. And so we get to learn from this. So ultimate home alone moment. Yeah, they lost Jesus. He knew where he was, though. He knew where he was all along. Absolutely. <laughs> and so we see in Jesus' life all throughout the Gospels, he says some things, and then it's just like, we, we're caught off guard. Like, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about being born again? Or Jesus, why would you say that? And in this sense, Jesus takes the, this understanding of our next generation and he switches it upside down. All right, so starting in verse 46, verse 46 says, after three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Jesus takes this understanding of being maybe unattentive, selfish and just naive, lacking an understanding, and he switches that around, and he says, no, I understand a little bit more of what you're talking about, and then he gives them answers and is asking them questions. He's engaging with these teachers, showing that he has the capability and the capacity to learn from them and to engage with them. Yeah, back in Jesus's day, the scripture was actually written on scrolls, these big, long pieces of paper, and they were expensive, and they were very rare. And so when people engaged in the scripture known as the Torah back then, it was a communal thing to do. The young and the old, especially the teenagers, came together to listen and to engage and process and ask questions and have a conversation about God's word. This is huge. Because often today, what we do is we separate the kids from the adults, and then we don't understand why our kids don't understand what we are engaging in, because we're not in the same conversation. We have something to learn here. 
when we are engaged with our next generation, we can actually be amazed by who they are and who God created them to be when we are in that same space. When we are engaged, we are amazed. So something to learn there. We want to bring in 2020 our next generation into these same spaces so that we can share what Jesus is doing in their hearts and in ours. So Jesus was lost, and we pick up seeing him in the temple, and now he's about to be found. So let's look in, verse 48, we're going to cue in, bring the parents in, and we're going to see a little bit of their interaction. So verse 48 says this, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And right away, right away, we see some frustration and tension between the parent and the child. We see a little bit of, of sassy Jesus start to come out. Jesus is like, why were you looking for me? But there's a little bit more to what he's saying in this passage rather than just being sassy and defiant. Absolutely. Listen, if you have ever babysat for a kid, you have been a teacher or you're a parent or a grandparent and you were at the park or some big massive place and the kiddo that you were responsible for wandered off, you are freaking out. Am I right or am I wrong? That word astonished in that passage actually translates more like angry. And when you have found your kid in the mall or at the park when you thought you've lost them, maybe forever, you have two immediate reactions. Your first one is, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I found you. And you almost want to put them in one of those baby ergos, no matter how big they are, and just carry them around, right? You're like, you're sticking to me like glue. But our second reaction is usually, now I want to hurt you. (laughs) How could you do this to me? It's so, so true. And what we know about teenagers is that they're a little messy. It's why we love them. Because they will tell you exactly who they are. And we may not like how they say it, but 99.9% of the time, What they're saying is truth. So here's what I want to ask us right now to do, to consider that we're in those messy moments when they're getting a little sassy. I'm asking us to react a little less and listen a little more. Let me say that again. I'm asking us to react a little less and listen a little more. The time that we have our kids and our teenagers, it's a window, it's a short window. And we have to choose the battles that we're gonna fight. And sometimes we don't like the way that they're saying something. We can address that. But we gotta lean in and hear what they're saying about who God made them to be. And say, I see you. 
where our kids are loved, that is where they will grow. Where our kids are loved and affirmed, that is where they will grow. Jesus was affirmed in the temple with adults. And we can do that too. Yeah, and I think it goes both ways as well. Jesus models this. He's in the temple courts and he's listening. He's reacting a little less and engaging a little more. So it's not just a top down. It's, it's both and. As students, as our next generation, we also have to listen a little more and react a little less. And Jesus models that in our next verse. In verse 50, verse 50, it says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. In the midst of the frustration, in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the anger, Jesus is still obedient to them. It's a both and. Learning and engaging both ways. Jesus is obedient, yes, to his heavenly father. He says, I had to be at my father's house. Didn't you know that? I had to be about my father's business. Like, this is what I was called to do. But in the same way, after that, he's obedient to his heavenly or his earthly father, to Mary and Joseph. He's walking with them. He's obedient and he goes back to them. So it goes both ways as well. Totally. As a parent, my favorite part in the scripture is where it says, and Mary treasured these things in her heart. I get a little emotional when I think about that as a mom, that I have the privilege of remembering and reminding my kids who God made them to be. When my daughter, Alex, she's 17 now, but when she was eight months old, she was spicy. (laughs) She was not a sweet child, I'm just telling you right now. And I remember when she was eight months old, she was sitting on her blanket and she was playing with some toys and she had not said anything. She had, you know, just maybe some babbles, you know? And I remember I was sitting with her and then I walked away. And all of a sudden I heard the craziest thing in my whole life. I heard, Mama! Not Mama. I heard an angry mama. And I remember I literally whipped around and looked at her and said, oh my gosh, what was that? My daughter, I'm going to talk about her a little bit. She was a tough kid to raise. She was what we would call a strong-willed child. She knew exactly what she wanted. It wasn't always what I wanted. She knew where she was going, even if I didn't want her to go there. She was tough. But what I remember in my heart now, as I see this 17-year-old woman, is I see a leader. I see someone who has a voice. I see someone who says, I've got a vision, and I'm not just going to change the world. I'm going to change it now. And 
And we know from our teenagers that life is tough. It is survival. I'm not talking about behavior modification where we want our kids to like look good in this cute little package and you gotta do everything right. That would be nice, but we know that the world is not like that. We know that our kids are being pushed and pulled in every which way. That they feel alone and they feel anxious and they're scared. And a lot of the choices that they're making, everybody, it's not usually out of rebellion. It's out of survival. Because they want to know where they belong. And they're going to look for it anywhere they can find it. My daughter is no different. She's struggling with friends. And she gave me permission to share this. She struggles with anxiety. But you know what I get to do? As the adult, the person who's most passionate, my husband and I on this earth, is I get to remind her who she is and who she always has been. A child of God, made in the image of him, made with a purpose, on purpose, and that nothing can take that away from her. I get to treasure those things in my heart, and I get to remind her who she is. Friends, I can't do this by myself. I need you. Trevor needs you. They need you. Treasure them and then point them to who they belong to because they will get lost. They will wander off. But we can do this together. Sound good? Okay. This whole scene, this snapshot into Jesus' life is concluded in verse 52. And I don't think it's a coincidence or by accident that this happens But it ends by saying this. It ends by saying, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Because of this communal experience, because of this top-down, this both-and engagement, Jesus engaging with this wiser generation and the wiser generation engaging with the next generation, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with everybody. And this is our heart. This is our heart and our vision for our students for here at Mercy Road, even for more of the world, is to see a communal worship experience. Well, it's hard, and it's not easy because, because we don't remember. We don't, engage, we don't understand what it was like because we forget. And this is hard to do that. So, so how do we do that? Yeah. I'm in it. I don't know the best ways. I have ideas, lots of fun ideas. But how do we do this? Where are our students completely at? Totally. We have to, number one, seek to understand as we're in this space, uh, we want to share some things with you about what specifically our middle school and high school students are thinking and feeling and questioning. And so here's a couple things. You ready? Some practical tips. Our middle school students, they wake up and they fall asleep and they eat and they breathe this question. Who am I? Who am I? And they thrive in a culture 
of affirmation. What I mean by that is they are going to come alive and blossom in a community that sees them, acknowledges them, and says, come alongside with me. You don't have to have it all together, but I'll do this with you. Sometimes we often just kind of push our kids aside and say, you go, you go to the youth room, <laughs> right? Often we just need to bring them in with us, have them greet at the door, have them come on stage and do some worship with us. It's pretty powerful. I think we just saw that when we affirm our kids, right? Our high schoolers are growing rapidly, and they're asking a series of questions. So the first question our, our high schoolers are asking them, now they're into a, where do I belong? Who are my people? Friends, we get to be their people. We get to be their people. They're also asking, why should I believe? We don't need to fear this because this is so important. They're making their faith and their relationship with Jesus their own. Jesus was saying, I'm in my father's house. It was his journey now, not just about Mary and Joseph. He was discovering and owning who he is. And we have to let our kids do that. And that often starts with doubt and questions. It's okay when our kids do that. We have to create a safe space for that, okay? They're also asking, how can I matter? And they're also asking, what will I do? So they thrive in a culture of empowerment. Trevor and I have this huge dream moving forward that our teenagers, our students, are all over this church being empowered to do things, to make decisions, to have a voice. Because they will thrive there and they will grow. And we can do this. We can do it. That's our heart and our vision and what we've seen in our students. We took a trip to St. Louis and we saw a worship experience just totally, totally just rock the socks off the church that we engaged with. They were like, hey, can you bring your students and teach us how to worship like they are? We're so much better when we engage and interact and learn both and wiser generation into our next generation. And we're going to take a moment to do that together. But before we do that, let's just pray and get our hearts ready to engage in our next step with seeing Jesus and worshiping together as one body. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this snapshot that we got to see into your son's life, into Jesus' life. We thank you for the sacrifice that he came and did for us on the cross. Jesus, you are our Savior and you are our Lord, and we love you so much. And we ask that, that you, Holy Spirit, would guide our hearts, that you would fill our hearts with your love, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You would guide us in wisdom, guide us in knowledge, that we may become a better church, a better bride under your name. We ask that you would lead us and in, in show us how to engage and how to interact with our wiser generation as students. And as the, as the wiser generation, we ask that you would show us how to lead and how to love 
and empower our next generation to pass the baton, Lord. We love you, and we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. And we believe that you're going to do it here at Mercy Road and in the rest of the world. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you and ask that you would guide our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen.